lock and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. And greetings. Happy Thursday. Welcome to the Steve Dace Show. Live and on demand here on Blaze TV radio podcast. I am Steve Dace, Aaron McIntyre, and Todd Erzin. They're here with me as well. 888-933-93 is the number. That's 888-933-93. Steve at stevedace.com is how you can email us. You can like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show over on Parlor at Steve Dace. The last name is D-E-A-C-E. Check out our new YouTube page as well at youtube.com slash Steve Dace. And don't Don't forget, pre-sales are underway already for my new book, the sequel to A Nefarious Plot. It's a novella sequel. It's called A Nefarious Carol. And yes, it is a Christmas story. And it's out in time for Christmas on December the 15th. You can pre-order your copy today at Amazon.com. A Nefarious Carol at Amazon.com. I've heard from quite a few of you that have done so already. Thank you very much. Let's keep those going. Uh, My kids are expecting a good Christmas this year. Thank you. All right, coming up here at the bottom of the hour, Byron York of the Washington Examiner is going to join us talking about his new book, Obsession Inside the Washington Establishment's Never-Ending War on Donald Trump. We'll get into that conversation here at the bottom of the hour. Next hour, we're going to answer a listener question on Theology Thursday, and then we will play our beloved game of three non-political questions. Aaron, are you prepared? Absolutely, I am two-thirds prepared. So you just remembered this 10 minutes ago. That's what that that's what that means. I didn't say that out loud. No, you didn't. But you didn't have to. Here we are. Speaking of which, though, here is Aaron with a rundown of what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away brought to you by another boisterous campaign event for Joe Biden. And what makes his wild claims and hopes, he now hopes we don't notice what he said or won't remember. And when he does follow through, or doesn't do when follow through the exact opposite. Biden was in Michigan unveiling his manufacturing plans if he's elected. I want to thank you all. I carry with me, I don't have it, I gave, gave it to my staff, but I carry with me in my pocket a, do I have that around anyone? Where's my staff? I gave it away anyway. I carry a schedule in my pocket. And now an update on American culture in the year 2020. Netflix has now released its despicable new movie called Cuties. Cuties, before it was even released, drew heavy criticism from conservatives based on its own description, which says, quote, Amy, an 11-year-old girl, joins a group of dancers named the Cuties at school and rapidly grows aware of her burgeoning femininity, upsetting her mother and her values in the process. Amy, through an ignited awareness of her burgeoning femininity, propels the group to enthusiastically embrace an increasingly sensual dance routine, sparking the girls' hope to twerk their way to stardom at a local dance contest. The show's promotional poster showed young girls, ostensibly the same age as Amy, around 11, in spandex dance costume and short shorts. Well, now that the show has been released, it's as bad or worse than the promotion even indicated. Clips are now circulating online featuring the scantily clad young girls in the show dancing extremely provocatively and being sexualized to the nth degree. Even according to the Internet Movie Database's parental guide, quote, during one of the many highly sexualized and erotic dance scenes that purposefully exploit and objectify numerous scantily clad underage girls, one of the female child dancers lifts up her cropped top to fully display her bare breasts. This is lawfully defined as pedophilia and can be extremely distressing to many viewers, end quote. 
New Yorker headline, Cuties, the extraordinary Netflix debut that became the target of a right-wing campaign. Netflix has over 70 million subscribers in the U.S. and over 180 million worldwide. Don't worry, though, the United States military is still a bastion of Americanism, or so we thought. It was recently revealed that required reading for cadets at West Point are two books, one of which is named Critical Race Theory and Introduction. The other is named A Critical Introduction to Queer Theory. Wildfires continue to rage across many parts of the American West. One wildfire is attributed to a baby gender reveal party gone wrong. Comedy Central's Trevor Noah, your thoughts. And aside from all the damage it can cause, celebrating a baby's genitalia is starting to feel very outdated. Like given everything we're learning about gender, gender reveal parties should only happen when the child is old enough to know their actual gender and to pitch in some cash for the fire damage. And honestly, I don't even know why we need gender reveal parties. You know what we do need, though? Race reveal parties. Football update. Ohio Governor Mike DeWine says there's a quote-unquote decent chance the Big Ten will return to play this season. Ohio Attorney General Dave Yost told Fox Sports Radio's Clay Travis he believes Ohio State and other schools could sue the Big Ten if teams don't play this year. University of Nebraska President Ted Carter said yesterday he expects a vote by Big Ten presidents on returning to play very soon. In other odds and ends news, speaking of Nebraska, Senator Ben Sass has called for the repeal of the 17th Amendment and eliminating popular vote Senate elections. And finally, what happens when you ask random people what they're doing to combat sexism in their own homes? Uh, we're just wondering uh, what people have done in their own household to combat sexism. No, I mean, I live with my partner. We are both pretty equal. In- Would you mind if we came and took a look just to make sure? We, well, I'm, I'm, I'm working in the office right now. Yeah, is it possible we meet up after work or something just to make sure that there's nothing sexist there, like maybe a woman working on the kitchen or anything like that? Um... We can I mean, meet up after. I don't know what I'm getting getting off. So yeah, if you want to give me your number and then we can meet up and then I can come back and make sure there's nothing sexist in your house. Um, that's all the way up in Inwood. Yep, so that's, we're willing to do that if that's oh, okay with you. I mean, probably not. And that's what happened while we were away. <laughs> oh, I wish the camera was on you. And and the and the audience got to see Todd's reaction to those Joe Biden clips. Boy, howdy. We'll get to that here in a second. Aaron's Montage brought to you by Fundrise. You know, we've been told for years it's important to diversify your portfolio, stocks, bonds, mutual funds, that kind of thing. But if you've never, ever looked at a breakdown of one of the most, or if you ever have looked at a breakdown of one of the most successful portfolios, you're typically going to see a diversified set of real estate. In fact, you know, the tycoon who's president of the United States right now? Yeah, yeah. Where, where did he make it? A lot, most of his money. Where was it? Real estate. Okay, so why isn't it one of the first asset classes that you are considering when you're looking to diversify? Simple for a lot of people. It's not available to you because you don't have the funds. Thanks to Fundrise, though, they can make it easy for all investors to diversify by building you a portfolio of institutional quality real estate investments. So whether you're starting to invest in real estate or looking to add more, our friends at Fundrise, they have you covered. To date, Fundrise manages more than $1 billion in assets from 130,000 investors. And since 2014... The Fundrise platform has averaged 8.7 to 12.4% annual return for its investors 
That's an earning of $79 million in dividends alone. So you can start building your portfolio today. Get started at Fundrise.com slash Dace to have your first 90 days of advisory fees waived. That's Fundrise, F-U-N-D-R-I-S-E, F-U-N-D-R-I-S-E dot com slash my last name Dace to have your first 90 days of advisory fees waived at Fundrise.com slash Dace. All right, coming up later today in the overtime, we we do brutal honesty on this show as often as we possibly can. Some honesty, though, comes with more brutality than others. And I, I think I think I need to say something to you folks that a lot of you are not gonna like. I don't I don't like. I don't like the fact that what I'm gonna say is true. Um, you guys know what we're going to talk about, right? Yes. And they're, they're, they're basics. Not, yeah, they're not going to like it, are they? Probably um, not. Probably not. Which is why you want to subscribe right now to get the overtime. That you probably <laughs> which, won't like. That you probably won't like at blakestv.com slash dace. Hey, man, a guy who can't remember his own name may be president. Maybe this kind of mar- negative marketing will work, right? I'm in. Uh, blakestv.com slash dace. Um, when will you get your NFL back? When will you when will you be able to throw your mask away? We're going to answer those questions for you. And I don't think you're going to like the answer. I don't like the answer. And but I think it I think it needs to be answered nevertheless. blazetv.com/dace is where you're going to find that today and we're going to put it in the overtime because if you're paying for this, then I know it's a message you are really receptive to, right? And frankly, I, I don't want to drop a deuce on the new expanding audience that we have for this show. I, I'd like to keep them around for a while before you all find out what we really like around here. <laughs> all right, so we're going to put that in the overtime today instead. BlazeTV.com slash Dace. That's where you can get a discounted subscription to Blaze TV. If you're already a subscriber, that's where you can go to watch it later today. All right, let's get to uh, what is, uh, what is and, and let's get to what isn't in Aaron's montage. Notice that Aaron, as he did the other day, when he did not include the stupid rabbit ambulance chasing story uh, on from the Atlantic, that we wasted, you would just think, man. I mean, just line it up. You want Donald Trump to win the election? You have Joe Biden choose a running mate that got laughed off the national stage by his own party in a primary. She couldn't make it to two months until the Iowa caucus as she got ran out of here. Then they have a convention where it's basically a kooks are us gathering. Okay. Um, and then they follow that up with, uh, I'm, I'm going to lock the whole country down all over again. And that was the first joint interview that him and Kamala, that Biden and Kamala gave. And then the Republicans swoop in, don't give a primetime speaking slot to the Steve Scalise's and Eric Kevin McCarthy's and, uh, and, and Mitch and Ditch McConnell's of the world. But actually, it's four days of Americana, baby. Rally around the flag, right? Okay, it's like a MAGA convention. Democrats are freaking out. Joe Biden's got to reconstruct his campaign, tries to reboot it in a bumbling, fumbling, but I repeat myself, Joe Biden press conference trying to you know redirect his camp, his flailing candidacy and get the momentum back. Right, right. On message, everything's great. The Friday before Labor Day is the new jobs report. And the unemployment rate is well under 10%. We've recovered almost half the jobs lost. 
because of the lockdowns, I mean, we were hoping if best case scenario, we could do that by the end of the year. We did it by Labor Day. It's like a perfect talking point just set up for you to go right into the Labor Day weekend. You know, the number one issue in every election of all time, of all time, the number one issue is jobs in the economy. It doesn't matter who wins. That's the number one issue of all time in every exit poll ever. Jobs in the economy. It's just a matter of what's going to be number two, right? Mm-hmm. And it's just on a T for you, right? Nah. Nah. Anonymous sources. Uh, let's, let's go back and forth with the Atlantic, which for most Americans is an ocean if they know what side of the country it's on that they don't read, right? And notice we didn't put that in the montage when that was trending because we're not dumb. Uh, and then now it's the Bob Woodward story. Uh, and where Trump gave him an interview back in March saying what he actually went on national TV at his coronavirus task force about that exact same time and said that, yeah, I'm trying not to cause a panic here. All right. And um, uh, and that was yesterday's news news cycle. Now, the beauty of it was. The beauty of it was is it forced Anthony Fauci to come out and defend the president. Because, see, if you don't like how Donald Trump has handled coronavirus and I don't actually, there's quite a bit of it. I don't like I've been very critical this entire time. Actually, I think I think he's made two good moves this year on coronavirus to uh, shutting China travel down on January 31st and then the hiring of Scott Atlas about a month ago. And I think before that dog doo doo because he did everything Anthony Fauci told him to do. And where did Trump get the talking point early on that it's just a really bad flu? I don't know. The February 28th edition of the New England Journal of Medicine when Anthony Fauci actually wrote those words. Yeah, I think in the end, this is just going to be on par with a, you know, a, a, a bad flu season or a pandemic flu season, which actually, ironically, it turned out to be true. Okay. But um, it, Fauci ran the country for four months from basically the middle of March to the middle of July. Anthony Fauci is the most powerful man in the country. And that, that ended actually the day that he went out on that pitcher's mound and threw it into the uh, uh, the third deck of the third base side uh, stands and got caught not wearing his talisman. I'm sorry, uh, I'm sorry, his, uh, uh, his mask. Yeah, thank you. But he was forced to come out of hiding wherever he's hiding right now. You know, when he's not writing odes to the Green New Deal in Cell, mag- in, 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 in Cell Magazine, okay? Uh, he was forced to come out on Fox News, no less, yesterday and defend Trump. Why? Because if you thought that Trump's reaction to the virus was underwhelming, he only did this entire time what Anthony Fauci told him to do. And Anthony Fauci, I mean, I mean, the left turned him into a religious figure. Trust Fauci. Remember Sally Quinn, that clip we had a few months ago? Oh, he's just so hot. I just wanted to talk to him at dinner. Remember those? Yes. Days? Yeah. Fauci was going to save us from Trump killing us all. All Trump did is everything Anthony Fauci told him to do, which is why we're in this position. Okay, so here's my question to many of my colleagues. And I feel weird being the one asking this, given where I've been on the whole Trump issue in the past. But I would like to win November 3rd. I'm starting to wonder if you all do. Because if every time, every time the left just lifts its skirt in the media and shows us a little leg. No matter how unshaven, hairy, and monstrous it is, we're going to drive off into a ditch making googly eyes 
following it around, I, then let's just go ahead and and tell Joe Biden, bro, you probably better start working on your inauguration speech now because it's going to take you that long to probably mnemonically remember it, given where your cognitive decline is at the moment. I, I mean, I, I, I mean, the president's out there. Let's bring the troops home from Afghanistan. Let's play football. We're out there talking about Bob Woodward. Meaning, meanwhile, America again. Bob Woodward, the Watergate dude. I thought he was dead. People don't care about this stuff. They just don't care. We do. I don't know why. Well, I do know why. Because our entire business model as an industry is predicated on just reacting to them. Which means all we're ever doing is responding to them. They're always determining what the narrative is. I don't know why we do that. I don't know why we go along with that. I don't know. I, I, maybe that is a good business model. Maybe that's why I'm not rich doing this. I don't know. Maybe the business model is to not actually try to win, but just, you know, that whole own the libs thing. Just counter their narrative and point out how it's BS, but then don't try to beat them after you point it out. Just And then when they bring the next BS narrative, call that BS, but then don't try to beat them after you point that one out. And then when they bring the next BS narrative, call that one out, and then don't try to beat them after you call that one out. And we just do the time warp again. Wash, rinse, repeat. That's all we do. I don't know. Maybe that works. I don't know. People who are far wealthier than me do this all the time. I see it on my Twitter feed, so I'm, I could be the numb nuts here. I mean, that, that could be what y'all want. You just you don't want to sit around and just have us just call BS on these guys and but then I I mean I'd like to beat them with the with afterwards but maybe we don't want that are, are you as mystified by this as I am? We were talking about this a little before the show. By now it's hard to believe, but they they promise you that they're never going to break the chain, Fleetwood Mac. No. I mean they're going to be ridiculous. They're, Look you, at you with the pop culture no, drops. No, I like you, it. You never learned at the feet of the best, but you, you're never. Go- they're going to come with more, so you're not ending that cycle no. by rebutting it. They're never going to stop lying. You, you, you go ahead and rebut it, but you need it needs to be a both and. You you've got to have the the aspirational notions yep. that I keep begging for and never ever get. Can that be part of the equation? And if at we're any dropping free Fleetwood Mac references, man, we've got all these media platforms. We got to go our own way here, guys. <laughs> I All see right. what you did there. We got to go our own way. What is our counter narrative? I don't know. Being un- under 10% unemployment in the worst pandemic since at least the Hong Kong flu in 1969, 50 years ago. And coming out of unprecedented shutdowns. I don't know. I, I, I'd probably be rather telling that story than responding to obscure left-wing media figures, no one who would ever vote for you gives a flying poo about, man, or even knows who these people are. They don't even know who they are. But whatever. Elsewhere. Um, I think I'm at peace now that we just have to show no mercy. I, 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 it took me a while to get there. But I'm at peace now that we just have to show no mercy on the Biden cognitive decline thing. And just no mercy. And I think all of us, you know, I did this with my own mom 
over the weekend, by the way, when we were talking about this. So I tried it out on her first. She's listening now. She actually does listen to this quite a bit. But um, I, I think we all have to now go to the people that we know that we're friendly with or that we love in our families that aren't crazy. Okay, that aren't just completely given over to left-wing dogma. Those, those people are voting for a yellow dog. And there's people, by the way, on the Republican side, too. I mean, let's be honest. Our show would. We wish when... I've, I've got... this. I'm, I'm in a weird position here. This is the first time in my career in news talk I have actually been advocating for the Republican nominee for president openly to win. Do you realize that? I made the switch in 2006 from Sports Talk, detested John McCain, and still do. Uh, so that was a no-go. I think we all know, um, since I was the original OG whistleblower on Willard Mitchell Romney, I, I set that one out. And then I was never Trump in 2016 because I didn't think there was any chance, given his character concerns, he would deliver on like anything he promised us, right? It's funny this that- is the first time in my career... In a general election, I have like been actively engaged in a supportive role. It's never happened in my entire news talk career. That's obviously true, but I've never quite wrapped my brain. I just it I just realized it five minutes ago as I was I was just contemplating what I was going to say next. I was the thought just popped in my head. Wow, this is actually the first time I I I've got a personal stake in this. Like I'm I'm it. Okay, you know, like in 2008 and 2012, I didn't I didn't I wasn't for John McCain and Mitt Romney. I just didn't want Barack Obama to win, which made for some very torturous broadcasting, I will admit. <laughs> right. 2016 was not fun, but, you know, hating Hillary Clinton's easy. So we got through. Um, but uh, this is a unique position for me. OK, but uh, but I, so my past history, if, if Donald Trump, if the shoe was on the other foot and he couldn't get a sentence out. I'd be saying what I'm about to say. I think I, I hope I've demonstrated by now. I am willing to alienate people that I could make money off of if it's what I really think. Okay. Here's what I really think. That we need to start having conversations stat right now with people in our circles that aren't, aren't far gone, totally gone. And just say, let's, 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 let's be honest. This guy's gone. He's just gone. He would be, he, he, he would be ruled legally incompetent if this was a hearing about the takeover of a five, Fortune 500 company and he was leading the investment group trying to take it over or he was in the group trying to hold on to control. You'd get him declared legally incompetent in a court. He can't do this job. And just go watch where he was four years ago and now, and it's another, it's like another person. And that's not abnormal. That is what typically happens to men of his age. And so you know what that means. If he wins, he's not running the country. So do you know who you're voting for? Do you know? Who's calling the shots? Because it ain't going to be Uncle Joe. So who's running the show? Who is it? And given the holistic state of the Democratic Party, do you, which scenario do you think is more or less likely? That Uncle Joe will bring back those old blue dogs and Dixiecrats and they'll be the ones calling the shots behind the scenes? Or the hard left that now runs the party? The Bernie bros, 
the Ocasio-Cortezes, the squads, the Gavin Newsoms, they'll be the ones calling the shots. Which do you think it is? Todd, I think we need to have this conversation with everybody in our in, within our nexus that just isn't a hardened leftist. It, it, it's open to be reasoned with. I, I think this needs to be discussed in every in every persuadable household in America. We're talking about openly voting here for a shadow presidency. We're we're talking about putting somebody up who clearly has dementia who will not be making these decisions. And so then who is running this country and making the decisions that determine your livelihood and your life? You didn't vote for them, obviously. Do you know who they are? And that needs to be framed in a way. And again, something else I alluded to uh, before the show, but I just saw there's a video of a large crowd outside. I believe the state house in Connecticut, it's made up of uh, high school football players, parents, and coaches doing a, a let us play out in Connecticut. It now they are having a sense of, well, I may have been on board on this thing early on, but this is gone crazy. You need to tap into that with Biden. What what parts of his uh, 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 your life are going to be affected by him being anointed and then used as a puppet? I, I, I promise you, things more important than football are going to be destroyed or taken away from you. I think you need to understand, he had almost, basically what, the, the debate between him and Bernie was right before Super Tuesday, or was it right after? I, it was after. It was after before the Arizona primary, if I recall. That was, so that's the middle of March. And, and, it's, and the, he didn't have to be on location for his convention. A lot of that was canned and taped and virtual. He had that that means he's had nearly six months to rest, to get his medical house in order. And and with all of that rest and all of that lag time, he comes out of his basement and he looks and he sounds like this. If we'd had a normal campaign year, where every day the news cycle is driven by what the campaigns are saying about each other, right? They're doing daily events, multiple events, by the way, every single day. The travel schedule that goes along with that, the fatigue that goes along with that, the wear and tear that goes along with that. What would he be demonstrating in that scenario? If after six months of rest, he looks and sounds like this, I think that's a fair question, don't you? Oh, it's more than fair. Because if he gets the job, what schedule is a president more likely to keep the one he's been allowed to keep for the last six months until now because of the virus or more of a typical campaign schedule? Or since we know he can't keep that typical campaign schedule, who's doing that stuff instead of him then? Who's making all of those decisions? Who's running the show? Do you know? In the yesterday, the president put out a, his second tiered list of potential Supreme Court nominees. What is Joe Biden's first? Do you know? Who would be, let's, you know what, let's even be as fair as we can be. You don't have to tell us who your whole cabinet would be. Let's pick the three or four most powerful positions in the executive branch other than the president. Secretary of State, Attorney General, Chief of Staff. Let's just choose those three. Secretary of State, Attorney General, Chief of Staff. 
who would those three people be? Because even if your president is young and alert, Barack Obama, George W. Bush, Bill Clinton, when they got elected, okay? Even if your president is young and alert, those three positions wield an immense amount of power every day in Washington anyway. They're three of the most powerful positions in our entire government. So I don't think it's too much to ask for a guy, given his age and cognitive decline, to tell the country right now, at least those three positions. Fine, enough to tell me who your Secretary of Interior is, I get it. But can you at least tell me who those three people are going to be? I think that's a fair ask, don't you? Yeah. I absolutely think that's a fair ask. And I think if you want to vote for this guy, you should be asking those kinds of questions. And if you know people in your families, people in your friend networks who don't like Trump, vote Democrat, but they're not nuts, they're not crazy. They just know they just don't believe Republicans care about people like them and it ain't like the Republican Party hasn't given a reason to think that over the years. Okay? I think we all collectively need to be asking these kinds of questions. Who then? If it's not this guy that's going to be running the show, who then? What do you think of President Kamala Harris after Joe Biden resigns? Or heaven forbid, Zachary Taylor's in office. What are your thoughts on Kamala Harris as president of the United States? What'd you think of her when you got to look at her in the primary process? I think we need to be having these conversations with reasonable Biden voters within our own nexus all over the country. We'll come back. Byron York of the Washington Examiner is going to join us next. Hey, did you know the average American has over 90 points they can add to their credit score? They just don't know how to do so. That's where ScoreMaster comes in. It's the new credit science that super boosts your credit score. And you can forget about just raising your score a few points because the average ScoreMaster user raises their credit score 61 points in 20 days or less. And what can a 61-point boost do? I mean, if if you financed something with a score in the high to 500s to mid-600s, maybe you could save up to nine grand on that car loan. Uh, ditto, if you're a business and you're trying to get capital uh, if, to invest uh, in a new line or infrastructure, the better the score, the better the rate. And that's where ScoreMaster comes in because they put you in control of your finances, not the banks. They let you see everything in your file and then what you can do by empowering you with this info, what you can directly do to positively impact your score. You can enroll in minutes, see how many plus points ScoreMaster can add to your score by visiting scoremaster.com slash Steve. That's scoremaster.com slash Steve. The name of the book, Obsession, Inside the Washington Establishment's Never-Ending War on Trump. And the author is Byron York from the Washington Examiner. It's been a while, brother. How are you? Good to see you. Doing well, Steve. Thanks for having me. You bet. So, Byron, you know I love brutal honesty, okay? So let me begin by asserting a premise somewhat masquerading as a question, and I'll let you respond if you don't mind, okay? When this whole Russian collusion thing began and the idea that it was all bunk, the idea that a decorated former Marine, 50-year patriot, 
director of the FBI would Robert Mueller would direct a probe that would come back with nothing and the whole thing would be bunk and the whole thing would be a witch hunt. I think you know I've I've been a bit of a Trump skeptic uh, over these past few years. I just had a hard time believing that. Okay, Uh, and and then when I read the report for myself and it said there was no evidence of Russian collusion, Uh, when I read things like the the Nunez and and the Schiff memos and and they talked about the FBI suspecting uh, that there were Russian assets trying to uh, ingratiate themselves or penetrate the Trump campaign, I asked myself, well, then. Why wouldn't you tell them that? I mean, why why wouldn't you tell people, give them a heads up? Hey, we think there's some near wells that you need to be aware of, and they never did, at least as far as we know. And then we saw what happened with Brett Kavanaugh, and they put me in the position where I had to defend a judicial nomination I don't even like because I think he's going to be a, 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 a terrible Sandra Day O'Connor like Supreme Court justice. Over and over and over again, we saw so many of these scams. That I thought to myself, this is unbelievable. I felt like, now I'm Han Solo. It's a lie. All of it. Okay? (laughs) So, are you... When did you begin to detect that this wasn't real, but just a re... We were just running back the 2016 election with these stories over and over again. Well, uh, I guess I first began to feel that pretty early in 2017, and uh, the, the, the reason was I began to talk to Republicans on the Hill like Devin Nunes, who were skeptical about what was going on. They, they knew that the FBI had been up to something. Obviously, we learned about a dossier in January of 2017 before Trump actually was sworn in as president. So we knew some funky stuff was going on. Then the whole Michael Flynn thing happened. Uh, and, you know, by March... Michael Flynn is uh, uh, is interviewed by the FBI on January 24th, 2017, four days in to the president's term. Uh, but by March, members of Capitol Hill are figuring out something funny is going on with that. So fairly early. Uh, the story that I tell in this book, uh, really the premise of it is when Nancy Pelosi, it was December 2019, less than a year ago, House Democrats are racing to impeach President Trump. Uh, and at one point, a reporter says to Nancy Pelosi, "Why? what's the hurry? Why are you in such a rush here? And she said, there's no rush. This has been going on for two and a half years since Mueller began. And a lot of Republicans said, wow, she finally said it out loud. This impeachment, it's not about Ukraine. It's not about a phone call. It's a continuation of a long effort to remove Trump from office. And what I do in this book is go back and tell that whole story. Why? What is unique about him? I mean, let's face it, until he came down from that escalator, you know, he flirted with GOP politics in 2012. I was on the Gingrich campaign. We wanted his endorsement. He endorsed Romney instead. But prior to that, he frankly has spent most of his adult life running in their circles, not in circles of people like me or even you. And so what was so unique about him, or maybe it was the, the issues he ran on and the base he was attracting, that, that was cause for just a never-ending attempt of, of ham-fisted coups? I have to tell you, I, I don't fully understand the answer to that question. If you remember back to the days of George W. Bush, certainly uh, Bush uh, incited a lot of hatred among Democrats and progressives. Uh, Charles Krauthammer, the late 
Charles Krauthammer coined the term Bush derangement syndrome back then. Yeah. But this is, uh, this is of a different order of magnitude. This is completely uh, different. We've seen uh, basically a, a freak out for quite a long period of time. And um, what's, what's fascinating about this story is I go back and first of all, uh, I go through the origins of all this with, with James Comey. Uh, the director of the FBI. And we didn't know during the campaign that the FBI was investigating the Trump campaign and Trump himself. Uh, but during the transition, there were a number of advisors, Rudy Giuliani, Chris Christie, Jeff Sessions, who urged the president-elect, fire Comey. Do it on Inauguration Day. Tell him his services will no longer be needed after January 20th, 2017. And he didn't do it. I mean, the reason they were saying that was Comey is a loose cannon. He'll, he'll go after you. Something will go crazy. And if he's a loose cannon now, if you keep him until after you become president, he'll become your loose cannon. Uh, and not firing Comey immediately after Inauguration Day was one of the bigger mistakes that Trump made in all this. How much of this is driven by... And, and maybe this is a biased view that I have working on the Cruz campaign four years ago. But, you know, MRC came out with that study during the primary four years ago that Trump had received 65 times more coverage than any other candidate in the race. Yeah. All right. And, and I think and I always operated under the theory they wanted him to be the nominee because they thought, you know, he'd be a, a bit buffoonish, cartoonish. They wanted to label people like me, racist, misogynistic, xenophobic, homophobic bigots most of my career. And so they'd get him to say things like that one Mexican judge, put it on tape and say, see, we told you that's who these people are. And, and they got him the nomination, frankly. And then after he got, but and then their plan blew up in his face, their faces because they didn't end up kicking their butts on election day. And I've wondered how much of this is driven by that, that he beat them at their yeah. own game. Yeah. Uh, this is what uh, Doug Collins, who uh, was a major part of the uh, impeachment defense for Republicans in the House, calls uh, tears in Brooklyn. This all has its origin in tears in Brooklyn. And he's referring uh, to that very uh, sad and uh, weepy election night. Uh, 2016 at Hillary Clinton's uh, headquarters. And there's no doubt that that uh, a number of Democrats have never been able to reconcile him, themselves to his victory. And one of the stories I tell in this book is that the first clue that a lot of House Republicans get that their colleagues on the Democratic side are really mad about Trump and not just kind of in the normal way. They're really beyond mad uh, is on January 6th of 2017, Trump is not sworn in yet, but that is the day that Congress meets to certify the results of the Electoral College. And it is supposed to be routine. It's supposed to be a ceremony. They all get together in the House chamber and it's announced that, uh, you know, the, the electors from the great state of Arkansas are fully certified and in order and blah, blah, blah. And it's supposed to be just a ceremony. And instead, a number of Democrats stand up at various times, one after the other after the other, to try to block the certification of electors from a number of states, mostly on the basis that Russia has helped Trump get elected. And this ceremonial uh, event becomes warfare, and, and Republicans are really baffled by what's going on. They learn later what's going on, but at that point, they couldn't grasp uh, the depth 
of anger on the on the Democratic side. Every time I have tried to treat these controversies and allegations fairly and say, all right, let's give them a hearing. It, it, it blows up on me. Hey, all right, let, let's hear what Christy Blasey Ford has to say. Let's give her a hearing. And then obviously she has no evidence. OK, um, let's give give Bob Mueller. I mean, this is a guy that when Trump was writing, avoiding STDs was his personal Vietnam. This was a guy winning, you know, bronze stars in the Marines. Let's give him the benefit of the doubt and see what he comes up with. Yeah. Nothing. And in your book, you point out that they kind of knew they had nothing early on and just kept going with the charade anyway. It seems like you can't give anybody a fair hearing. They just show their rear end every time you try. This is an incredible story. Remember, Mueller is appointed to investigate collusion, this theory that the Trump campaign and Russia conspired to fix the 2016 election. And uh, Mueller starts investigating collusion right away. Now, there's a story that really most people don't know about the beginning of the Mueller investigation, which is the president came up with a a plan of really radical cooperation. Um, He basically, his lawyers went to Mueller and said, listen, we, Donald Trump, want this investigation to be over quickly, very quickly. Now, you, Robert Mueller, Uh, You're going to want all sorts of evidence from us, millions of documents, the testimony of people in the White House, a lot of which would be covered by executive privilege. But here's the deal. We'll give you everything you want, all the documents. You talk to anybody for as long as you want. If in return, you will tell us that you're going to wrap this investigation up quickly. They shake hands on the deal. It's never written down. It's a handshake deal between John Dowd, the president's lawyer, and Robert Mueller himself. And then Mueller immediately goes about looking for collusion, and the Trump lawyers can see who they're talking to. They know who they're interviewing, and they can tell that this is a dry hole. Collusion is not happening. And by the fall, and certainly by the end of 2017, the Trump lawyers know that Mueller has come up with nothing on collusion. And there's a meeting on December 21st of 2017. And the Trump lawyers are saying, look, we know you look for it. It's not there. It's time to wrap up. And the Mueller side says, no, no, we're going to look into allegations of obstruction against the president. Matter of fact, we might need to talk to the president himself. That does not sit well. And a few months later, in March, there's another meeting. And this comes up again. And Mueller says, well, maybe we'll have to subpoena the president. And John Dowd slams his hand against the table and says, you do that, you're going to get a war and you're going to lose it. Uh, I mean, they're really, really fighting each other. And at that point, the whole final year of the Mueller investigation becomes one long fight over whether the president would testify, because long ago they knew that they had nothing to establish that collusion took place. You saw this with the Ukrainian phone call impeachment where you had witnesses go before Congress and really their grievance was, I don't like his foreign policy. Uh, He doesn't make decisions I like. I agree with as a bureaucrat. That's apparently grounds for impeachment now. So we got about two minutes here. Byron, what baseline does this set moving forward then? I, I think a lot of people think that Trump has disrupted all these norms. See, I've been trying to get folks that do what you do in Washington, D.C. to believe that this is who these leftists are for years. And I got called nuts. No, they're not like that. Okay, well, now it's out in the open. 
So the idea that if Trump goes away in November, that we'll return to some Pax Americana, I don't agree with that at all. I think a baseline has been determined that they are just going to expand on from here of what they think the new rules of engagement are. I think there's two possibilities. If the president is reelected, I think you do have to worry about what the resistance and Democrats are going to do because they've already tried the legal and constitutional means to remove the president from office. Maybe they can impeach him again, uh, but I, I just don't know what they're going to come up with. Now, if Joe Biden wins, the question that you raised is, will the whole system just sort of snap back to what it was before? Uh, I do think the, the media might snap back to what they were before and, and just give fawning, positive coverage uh, to Joe Biden. Uh, but we really have crossed a line in the way a president is treated uh, in the legal system, by the intelligence community, and in the press. And I'm, I'm not sure we can go back to what it was before. Name of the book, Obsession Inside the Washington Establishment's Never-Ending War on Trump by Byron York over at the Washington Examiner. Good to see you, Byron. It's been a while. Good to have you on the show, brother. God bless. Take care. Thank you so much, Steve. Appreciate it. You bet. Thoughts on that conversation? Well, totally echoes what I said before about the need to break the chain. When he tells you that how obvious it was early in the process, everybody knew on both sides of the poker table, we got nothing. And they just decide to like turn it into Calvin ball and just make up new rules. You, you've got to, as president, especially if you win re-election, we've been begging you on things like the courts, you know, just, you, you got to start going your own way. If you're president and you just park it in neutral for four years, uh, Donald Trump after this, instead of totally rewriting the rules, you know, that's on you. Aaron, what do you think? Yeah, I, the, the part of the conversation at the end about this, there's no going back here. Crossing the Rubicon, that term doesn't even do this justice. We are entering now a new phase, and I repeated this yesterday. When you have somebody who lost a fair election like Stacey Abrams a couple of years ago saying, just openly saying, without any hesitation or reservation, that the election was stolen from you, And now for two years, she's been a national figure and you have more and more war games pieces coming out about Mm -hmm. how whatever happens, unless it's a Trump blowout, it's probably, you know, they're game planning how to not concede the election. When, When you normalize that sort of behavior, when you don't come out and say, hey, 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 no, when there are essentially what I'm saying is when there are no grown ups really on either side, but especially on the side that's uh, up until recently been totally down to clown with burning and rioting and looting, when there are no grown-ups over there for like one half of America or close to it in the Democratic Party, it's, it's going to get ugly. I mean, it's already gotten ugly, but some of the worst things that you could never even imagine happening in the United States could be just around the corner if somebody doesn't step up and show law and order sooner than later. If they're incentivized that this works, yes. then why wouldn't they just continue doing it and more in the future, right? Exactly. Exactly right. We'll come back. Theology Thursday is next year to lead off hour two. Next. We're back with Hour 2, live and on demand here on Blaze TV, radio, and podcast. Steve Dace here with Todd Erzin and Aaron McIntyre. 
and all of you. Steve at SteveDace.com is how you can email the program. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. That's D-E-A-C-E. You can also uh, check us out. Follow us on Parlor at Steve Dace. Our new YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Steve Dace. And if you're a podcast listener, don't think you aren't appreciated because you are. We love you. Uh, all we ask in return is that you give us a five-star review if you like the show and hit that subscribe button if you haven't done so already. You should be able to do those two things wherever you choose to podcast us from. And thousands of you, thousands upon thousands of you have done this for this program already. We are so appreciative. Thank you very much. Coming up here at the bottom of the hour, we'll play our weekly game of three non-political questions. But let's get to Theology Thursday, brought to you by Home Title Lock. So what does COVID-19 have to do with the threat of losing your home? Well, according to the FBI, it could be quite a bit. Uh, The FBI is reporting that cybercrime has increased in America 75% since the lockdowns began. I mean, we're online more than ever before. We're exposed online, doing more business online than ever before. And, And here's the other issue with that. That's where a lot of our home titles are kept these days as well. And so cyber criminals, uh, they find the title to your home online. They forge your signature on a quit claim deed uh, and refile as the new owner of your home. And before you know it, you're off the title. That can destroy you. They can take out loans on your home. They can liquidate your equity, uh, stick you with the payments. You may not find out about it until a late payment notice arrives in the mail, maybe even a foreclosure notice. That's where home title lock comes in. They're going to put a virtual barrier around your home, your most important asset. And the instant they detect any tampering whatsoever, they will mobilize to shut it down. But first things first, go to HomeTitleLock.com and register your address to see if you've already been a victim and don't yet know it. HomeTitleLock.com. And while you're there, use the promo code Steve for 30 free days of protection. That's 30 free days of protection when you go to HomeTitleLock.com and use the promo code Steve. Let's get to Theology Thursday, and I have a question that I want to answer from one of our viewers slash listeners this week, and his name is Brandon, and he sent me this note on our Facebook page. He says, Steve, how do you end up believing in Jesus? For the last five or six years, I've been on this little journey. I started as an obnoxious atheist. And now I really want to be an obnoxious Christian. That's not really what he said. I just threw that in. Now I am a Christian allied atheist who would like to be a believer. I own a Bible. I've read some of it. I think it offers excellent guidance and advice on how to live a happy and successful life. I think the Ten Commandments are very important. I think Jesus is a fantastic example to follow. If I had children, I'd want to raise them in a Christian home. Christianity has been a clear net benefit to the world. I've personally benefited from Christianity, but I have one last step to make, and that is a genuine belief in an afterlife. I'm ready to say Jesus is my Lord and Savior, but I get the feeling he knows there is some skepticism in my heart that is any of it real beyond just offering good life suggestions. What can I do to help that? This is an excellent group of questions. Excellent. First of all, Brandon, let me, let me give you an attaboy from the beginning. And it's, by the way, 
sometimes when I do that, it's to set you up for the for the hard truth to come. That's not the intent here. Um, the fact that you are interested in an in an earnest, sincere conversion, props to you. Okay, you know we've heard the term false positive a lot lately. And I know some of you have have sent me the note. My wife even texted it to me when she logged on to Facebook. She got this notification as well that the science team at Facebook is claiming by actually sharing the New York Times own expose of, uh, did you get one of these two? Yeah. Sharing the New York Times uh, expose of our scam testing system that I may be guilty of peddling fake news on the virus. Okay. Um. We have, just like we have scores of false positives right now, we've got scores of false converts in our churches right now. And it's because we have tried to emotionally, speaking for my own uh, neighborhood here for a second, amongst evangelicalism, we have, let me give you an example. First time I wanted to get serious about uh, my health, I was working um, and at a at a law firm, and the woman that worked ne- that was clerking with me, and I mentioned, you know, I got to start losing some weight. So she, she said to me, you "Should try Weight Watchers. It's worked all seven times I've tried it." Okay, and that means it didn't work six times. <laughs> Right, maybe six times and counting. It works for a while, then you pack it back on, and then it works for a while, and you pack it back on. Right? We've got similarly people in our churches that are like, I, I mean, I have, I've asked Jesus into my heart like four or five times, and I'm still asking people, "Am I saved?" And it, it's because there's this emotion-based appeal to feel bad about the stuff you already feel bad about. And then, and then and then to just kind of unload it, you know? It's a little bit like when you know you have done something that has betrayed the trust of somebody you care about and you've been concealing it and and not wanting to admit it and then you finally come through come forward and admit it and you feel great. And then, you know, now they've got to deal with it and you're like why can't you just forgive me? <laughs> well, you feel great, you got it off your chest. But now I've now I've got to deal with the implications of this, right? And and so this idea, answer a call, say a prayer, those things aren't bad. I mean, my my conversion began answering an altar call at a promise keepers event. But they're also not sufficient. See the the reason. Jesus wants to be more than your get out of hell free card. He is that. Is that what he is? Yeah. He's the propitiation for your sins. All right. Which is just a fancy stained glass windowed word for uh, he paid your penalty for you. So he is that. That is what he is. Okay. Like in a marriage. Is my wife the primary, my primary conduit to sexual gratification? And am I hers? Yeah. 
Is that all she is, though? Oh, no. No. Is that all I am to her? No. No. Now, am I that? Am I that to her? Yes. Is she that to me? Yes. And is that all she is? And is that all I am? No. No. Is he the propitiation for your sins? Yes. But that's not all he is. Well, Steve, the last words of the cross were, it is finished, it is accomplished. The, you, you point this out all the time, to tell us die. That's what he says. Um, the, the wrath of God has been satisfied. Yes. But Why? I mean, God, God didn't send his son to satisfy the debt you owed him only or simply because you owed it to him and it had to be paid. He's not a bill collector, not a debt collector, not a repo man. He wants that relationship restored. This was in the way of it. That's that's the that's the point of it. Ultimately, is the restoration of a relationship. To put things back to what they once were. Before there was sin. It's not just like, hey, you owe God this debt because you did all these bad things. Jesus died, debts wiped out. You know what? God got his money. Peace out. No. Because what he wants from you more than anything is a relationship. But this was in the way. This had to be dealt with first. But not only. Not only. So Jesus is more than just a propitiation for your sins. He is... A path to a new life. The life that you were originally intended to have. That all of us were. So there's more happening here. I think when I when I hear you or read what you wrote to me, Brandon, I I hear someone with a desire for that life. And that's where your hesitation comes from. And I think, frankly, I think your hesitation comes from a, a good place. There's some wisdom here. You understand what is at stake. This is not trite. You're not at some evangelistic crusade. You felt really bad about what you already felt bad about or just hiding from yourself and other people. But you already felt bad. That's why you were hiding it. Someone gave a message, emotionally moved you. You, you, you went down, answered an altar call, you purged it, got it off my chest. Okay, great, I feel great again. I'm like rebooted. I can start all over again. Nope. I think we do a lot of that in the church, actually. Um, it's clear you understand there's more at play here. In fact, there's a certain reverence in your note. You don't want to practice theological reductionism. You don't want to reduce Jesus to just a get-out-of-hell-free card. You understand that the deal is he gave his life for you, so you commit your life to him. That's the deal. 
and you're like, I'm not sure I'm there yet. So I don't know that I can, I don't know that I can do it. Ain't nothing wrong with that. Actually, I don't think there's anything wrong with it at all. You are hovering around the target, my friend. So it ain't my place to close the sale. I'm not the Holy Spirit. So I'm not speaking on God's behalf. I am going to speak to you on my own. What I think is missing here, you have a lot of this nailed intellectually. And I've spent a lot of my career urging us to intellectualize our faith more, to, to that we're, you know, the scales of faith are here and, and reason is down here. And they're, they're, we need to tip the balance so they're like this. Okay, if, if it's all faith here and reasons here, then we're just getting into this emotionalism that I was just discussing. On the other hand, all right, I drop, I drop a massive rock on the scale here where emotion was. It drops. Reason goes way up here. I'm sorry, where faith was. And re reason goes way up here and faith stays down here. Now we've overanalyzed this. Now we've overintellectualized it. Steve, should my faith be based on faith or reason? Yes. It's by faith you have been saved through the free gift of grace so that no one would boast. It's impossible to please God without faith. At the same time, you should always have a ready defense real answers for the faith that you have. Why do you have that faith? Why do you believe what you believe? Do no longer be conformed to the thoughts and patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Not your emotions, your mind. So it's, it's the answer is yeah. They're both. And they're both key. And what I think, what I, what I see is you have over-intellectualized this. Because what's missing Brandon, is the personal connection between you and your creator. Brandon, you have a lot of the meta down. You have it down, frankly, more than a lot of believers probably, or, or, or professed believers in America do. You've got it down. Imagine, though, there's a woman you would like to marry. And the way that you have gone to woo her is to discuss your deep abiding appreciation for the institution of marriage. Your desire to perform your roles as a father and a husband. Your, your understanding of the value of children and the timing and unity it takes within a marriage for the raising and rearing of that next generation to turn out to be successful. I mean, you've nailed like all the, you got a good credit score. You have a good paying job. You are now prepared to take a wife. Are the things you just mentioned, are they important? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, they are. But you haven't shown her why they're important to her. They're important in the meta. 
But why, why are they important to her? You clearly want to be married. You love the institution of marriage. You understand its purpose and value. And you want to do your part to share and pass on that legacy. Why do you want to share it with her, though? What's special about her? See what I'm getting at? You've got the meta down, brother. But what about the personal? Do you believe you need a savior? Do you believe you need one? You. Not humanity. Not mankind. Do you, Brandon, individual, do you need one? Do you believe you are a sinner deserving of God's justice? Not, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, look, read the newspaper. No, 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 no. You. Do you believe you are? Because it's just going to be you and your Lord on your day of judgment one-on-one. Do you believe Christ died and rose again not as just a statement, but for you? That he did this for you? Because, Brandon, what Christ wants more from you than anything else is you. It's you. This was not done merely to settle an account. But the account had to be settled for it to be eventually fully done. It's a step to where this ultimately was was hoped to go. But it's a necessary step, otherwise we can't get there. But it doesn't end there. So, my encouragement to you, I think you've got the meta down. I think you've, you've got the right reverence for what's at stake. And I applaud, I really do, I applaud your desire for this not to be trite. I mean, speaking for myself, I mean, my, my, my calling is I serve on the front lines of a culture war. And, and, and there are months, months and months that go by. And it doesn't emotionally feel to me like God is at work in my life sometimes. Months go by. But based on the evidence of what I've seen and experienced in my own life, that I see and experience in the lives of the people around me, I finish the race. Not always expecting some instant emotional charge. Sounds like you get that part of it. That's good. I think that's sometimes the hardest part for believers to to get. 
but I also think maybe you skipped a step. What do you think? What does Brandon believe? What does, what is Brandon looking for? And then, why are you looking for it with Christ? I think that's what's missing, is the personal aspect of the relationship. You guys have any thoughts on this? Uh, yeah, there's a um, there's an honest going back to the letter. There's there's it's one thing to have honest skepticism about a particular. Listen, this faith. Talk about fancy stained glass windows. Whether you're Catholic or not, you know. We, Steve talks about them all the time. All the different epistemology that, uh, the routes you go down. Epistemology, by the way, is just the study of how we know what we know yeah. is true. That's yeah. that's all that means. But you, yeah, you, they're vast in terms of understanding our faith. So having real questions about particulars is it is is something that uh, Christ uh, finds joy in. Having it, the other thing though is having a a skeptic's heart, and that can be put into an idol. I mean, especially those who come from atheism, one of the last hard things to lay down is, and you may really think that, you're, yeah, my skeptic's heart took me down a lot of wrong roads, but ultimately, you, th you may think your skepticism took you down the right road. That could be true, too. But if it's the last, but you're, if that's become your identity, that's one thing that God's gonna want to break you of. He needs to know that every knee shall bend on all things and if that that tool is not another competing god inside you both both issues i brought up are in the heart of the disciples you're not alone in this walk the honest skeptics they were called disciples do you think and they had seen some right out of the gate they they saw some miracles but when he said come after me and make you fishers of men it wasn't until after a crucifixion, after Pentecost, when they really had right. all the answers. Before that, they're like, I, "Seems cool. I like I, I, I like some of the vibes I'm getting." But they they couldn't even possibly wrap their brains their brains around all things. And you know who reminded of them that regularly? Jesus. Now, the the other side, the skeptic's heart. You know that that's going to need to be dealt with harshly at at one point or another. Peter, Kephas himself. You know, get behind me, Satan. That's some rough work. You know, it, it, sooner or later, uh, it's going to take some tough love, and and it might not go well for you. There's another guy named Judas. That guy's skeptic's heart. You know, he took it all the way uh, to the Potter's Field. So uh, I don't, I don't want to be too pretty about any of this. But your skepticism about a particular, and you identified that about the afterlife. Okay, lots of questions to be asks, asked. And I think if you have a heart that is genuine, as Steve laid out, um, take the next step, whatever that is, and trust that faith and reason together will go with that next step of unknowing. But you won't believe in that step of unknowing if your skeptic's heart is clutched in your fist and is something you can't let go. Skepticism is not a bad thing in and of itself, but like all things, it can and will be made in an idol. And just based on your letter, perhaps you may be clutching that 
a little too hard and you need to walk out in faith one more time. Yeah, see, I think what's holding, what, what I sense is is the, the grounds for the remaining skepticism is the idea, I think he gets the idea that God could be rational. Yeah. Well, that there's a, I think he understands that there's objectively true things in the universe. Why would there be a struggle with an afterlife? Um, the idea that God is therefore also personal. I think he's struggling with the idea of a personal God, that level of personal relationship. I think he's, I think he's done the math on, on the equation, but, but doesn't, doesn't, doesn't know how to apply the math to himself. And I think that's why it gets a lot of the, the meta narratives around, you know, sort of the, the natural law or, you know, general revelation, common grace arguments that Christians often make. That's why he, he totally understands those things. So they line up with a rational objectivist viewpoint, right? But then the idea, this is where I do think that last idol comes in with my skepticism. If I, if I take the next step, it means therefore that, that this is a personal experience. And it's that, not just a propositional or philosophical one. And he knows that the faith is telling you that personal experience is defined by three and one and one and three. And that's something no one who's ever existed, no matter how great their faith, has fully been capable of understanding. You you can't. A skeptic hates that by definition. What do you think, Aaron? I, I think something that the over 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 rationalization of the christian faith can end up producing is the old axiom y'all need jesus and while that's 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 usually just meant in an innocuous way and in fact the vast majority of time it's meant in an innocuous way you harken back to what paul says in first first corinthians 6 do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of god and he lists off the sexually immoral the idolaters uh, the the drunkards, the thieves, uh, I'm missing uh, several that he, uh, he, he lays out there. And once were some of you before you were justified and sanctified. Because every day on this show, every day that I come in, oh, today we're talking about pedophilia on Netflix. I'm hit with the weight of what seems like everybody else's sin. I know you are. I know you watching are as well. If you pay attention to this world, you're hit with the weight of, of, the, of this world that we live in, of, of the East of Eden state that we are in. We're, 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 we feel like we're carrying that weight, or at least we feel like we're icky. But you know when you feel really, really, really icky? Like more than icky, like woe is me icky, is when you're hit with the weight of your own sin when you're hit with the weight of your own sin there is no rationalizing that that is it's it just is you you, you have nothing other uh, you have nothing else to do than to fall to your knees and uh, beg for forgiveness because you realize at that point that there's nothing that you can do you can rationalize with uh, period and I, I will say this, and I, I've said this before as well, um, doctrine, theology, the study of those things, and all of, all of the tentacles that that reaches, 
incredibly important for every single believer, for everyone, but for the believer, the continued studying, the continued skepticism, healthy skepticism, the continued study of theology is only as helpful as it helps you love the Lord with your mind. Because you, once you, once you have come to that place that Todd has said, where, hey, uh, I've got the skeptic's heart with me, but do I really love the Lord with my mind? Love the Lord with my mind, or is this a love of of the study of the Lord? You get the difference there. Mm-hmm. That's that's where I think we all have to come to at some points. We have to be reminded of that. Do we love the Lord, or do we love the study of the Lord? I think those are. I think that's kind of what I'm hearing here, just a little bit. Well said. Well, hopefully, Brandon, at the very least, we we gave you a nudge in the right direction. We'll come back and we'll do three non-political questions here on The Blaze next. Oh, hey, your pet needs supplements these days just like we do for the same reasons that we do because a lot of that good stuff those vitamins minerals nutrients antioxidants digestive enzymes probiotics prebiotics a lot of that is stripped out of our food as well and sterilized for long shelf life mass production same thing happens to our pets that's why they need a supplement like Rough Greens Vitasmart. It is not a dog food. It's a premium dog food supplement that's a powder that you sprinkle right on your pet's food. And apparently it takes the food they already love and it'll make them love it more because our dog cap loves this stuff. And it contains massive amounts of all the good stuff you need to improve mobility, joint health, healthy skin and coat, and more. Why not see if you don't see a difference in your pet in 14 days or less? Uh, get the new 14-day jumpstart challenge from Rough Greens at 1495. That's all it costs. When you go to this website, roughgreens.com slash blaze, R-U-F-F is how it is spelled, roughgreens.com slash blaze. It is time for three non-political questions. We all have questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Who am I? A search and a question of identity. Why am I here? A question of meaning and purpose. Where am I going? Question of destiny. Some better than others. What sort of morality or proto-morality would you expect to find in a chimpanzee troop? Injecting some levity into the demise of Western civilization. It's three questions on the Steve Day Show. All right, three non-political questions. We've got an entire segment to fill. These questions are good, so it's up to Steve and Todd to talk for long enough to get us to the end of the show. Question See, number one. Yes. Uh, uh, protecting himself, so it's our fault? Well, no, actually, the questions are good this time. So, okay. Yeah. This time. No one-word answers, of course. Now that I've said that, all of your answers are going to be one word, and I'm going to have to talk for the rest of the It's going to be like segment. interviewing a high school football player. How did the game go? Yes. Good. What do you think about that key play, there in, uh, in the fourth quarter? No. No? Yes? No? Yeah. yeah. Uh, let's see. Number one. Question number one. What's the most annoying thing in your everyday life that has absolutely no lasting consequence whatsoever? Oh, boy. Um, if you say me. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, it's not you. Um, uh, that, that has no lasting consequence whatsoever. 
just a really innocuous but really annoying thing. Um, well, I know what number one is. The reason I'm stalling is number one is very obvious. I just don't think I should say it publicly. And I think you guys probably know what number one is too. It's a it's the wasps. No, no, that has that does have consequences. That has some yeah. serious real world consequences for me. No, it's um, it's a it's a certain investment I have going on the side that is number one right yeah. now. Yeah. yeah, but I I probably shouldn't say that publicly. So let me see if I can come up with something else. Um, Todd, you go. I'm 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 in a happy place right now. I got to think of it. You go, you go first. Uh, David French. <laughs> Is the, when was the when was the last time a day went by, except the time that you were in Twitter jail, that you have not made one tweet about David French, the price of freedom. I mean, this is like a Joe DiMaggio like hit streak you have going oh, yeah. on right now. Yeah, you can turn any take into that, can't you? And, well, and my point about it having no no consequences, you know, it's it. This is a one-sided relationship, at least. Now, there's a lot of other people. I was on the front end of this thing. Well, we we all were collectively, but that specific application of it mm-hmm. um, has definitely been my thing. But um, it maybe maybe that kind of water against the rock thing has been working because he's taken it on the chin lately for the same reason. So especially in light of now what we saw with Netflix, it's been a good day. So, but I, I, I meant that basically in light of there's, there's no back and forth between David Fridge. I actually, I'd feel quite confident in that. Uh, and he's no dummy, but um, he's so buried himself in utter nonsense that I think it would go quite well and be entertaining. Okay. That's a good one. I think, I, I think I know what my, my other choice that I can talk about publicly is, or should talk about publicly. I, I, Every time, who was the the woman? Oh, she's like a female comedian, uh, kind of a centrist. It was Bridget something or Brittany something. Who am I thinking of? And she's been on our channel, not on our show, but on our channel a ton of times in recent years. And a oh, Bridget Fetacy? Yes, yeah. There you go. Okay, and she put out a, a, a mock book a few years ago titled Everyone Who Disagrees Disagrees With Me as a Grifter. Okay? And I am so tired of people and the constant drumbeat that the only reason I could possibly have that I don't agree with you on something is that I sold out again again okay i mean it's just and it, and it doesn't matter i mean i'll i'll get i'll get feedback on this on the same issue on both sides sold out to trump again huh sold out to never trump again i dace like literally in the same the same you know take in the same show if you're gonna get the flack you'd at least like to get one of those shiny gold grifter checks yes i must i suck at selling out dude i'm the worst Sell out of all time, okay? But uh, yeah, that's number one. For me, it's my hands are constantly dry. Question number two. <laughs> I mean, it's just... What, is, what do you want, some palm olive? It's so frustrating. 
It's just, and of course, we have all been washing. Let's start our calling hands. you Madge. He doesn't remember those Paul Malavads. He won't even be alive. Uh, we'll start calling you Madge, and you won't know what it means. Everybody, including me, has been washing their hands a little bit more frequently, anyway. Uh, and it's just, it's terrible. The struggle is real. <laughs> Question number two: <laughs> What's your biggest get off my lawn issue? Um, it's Festivus today on three questions. Is it? Yeah. Yeah, we're airing grievances, are we? Yeah. Um, uh, I'll tell you what mine is. All right, you go first. Yeah. Let's see I, the millennials and, get off my lawn first. And, yes. And I mean, this, this is bordering on Karen territory with me. When you're in a, a parking lot where the sight lines are just not that great, slow down. Slow down. There's no reason for you to be whipping around a corner going 30 miles an hour. Slow down. Please, slow down. Apartment management sent out an email to everybody the other day talking about, I don't know if this three-year-old died or was seriously injured at an, at an apartment complex here in town because people were driving through the, the, the complex parking lot too fast. Now, that's a separate issue. We've got a bunch of little kids at our apartment that run around like it's their playground in the parking lot. That's a separate issue, but it's because of those kids just slow down. I mean, I, I rolled in to the parking lot the other day. I had noticed that somebody had gotten like, it looked like a brand new Subaru. I noticed that a few days before and that Subaru was completely front ended right in the parking lot by somebody else. Slow down, slow down. That's it. Um, so my, my hands are dry and you're driving too fast. And, and, and you're driving too fast. I'm an 87-year-old man trapped inside a 27-year-old body. <laughs> Think you're entertained now? Let's talk some soccer. Uh, my get off my lawn is... it's not so, People were recently complaining about baseball and the unwritten rules, and those are irritating. Recently to, complaining? They've been complaining yeah, about that well, for yes, decades. But it, but yeah, it came you. up recently. But it's like... I'm a baseball umpire. It's like the written rules in sports that are ignored it's not the unwritten rules that are enforced that really bug me but the written rules that are enforced like arguing balls and strikes i think there's high school coaches they honestly it's like their dream to just sit there and start popping off at the guy making a hundred i listen and i know i'm at, at the high school level i'm as good as they get okay it's it, it's the way I was. He does say so himself. The way I was trained, things like that, and they really they just start like in the middle of. It's not even a call of consequence, and they'll just start chirping. And I've had to just on I, it, the thing is they don't. No one has no any idea who I am, what I do. It would be the same if it was Steve, and like they like that's. Not only is that not going to work, I'm going to reverse the premise on you. And now in front of everybody here, I'm going to make it so uncomfortable because most umpires, they don't want to do that. All right, it's on. Again, and the rules are on my side. This is, you do not, you're not allowed to argue balls and strikes because it's a pitch that happens every single time. It would be chaos if it happened. The same thing with, um, with soccer. You have yellow and red cards for a reason to keep the game in control one of the primary reasons is so it does not become unduly violent this has become my get off my lawn go ahead go ahead it's you it takes in youth soccer it takes a level of punishment to be inflicted for somebody to give a yellow card which is the caution they should be giving 
I, I'm in. A, I'm doing a U10 game, and I'm giving out yellow cards to little kids and bringing tears to their eyes because they need to learn that this is how the game is supposed. It's in the rules. Yet every other official is like, "Is it broke? You got a broken leg there? Well, yeah, rub it." You help me help you. I'm on two sports now. Just follow the actual rules, and we'll all live in a better place. You know, for me, it's being, it's social media trying to get me to care about people. I don't know who they are. And like, they're supposedly like a big deal. Like I got into work here this morning, log on my computer, killer Mike in trouble for meeting with Georgia Governor Brian Kemp. Did you find and out? I'm like, I'm like, first of all, how did a killer is uh, get on the loose in Georgia, right? And then, I mean, is the governor of the is the governor of Georgia safe? I mean, apparently uh, not. Uh, uh, for, who's, who, I mean, Killer Mike. Do you know what the hell a Killer Mike is? No, no, no I never heard it. Is he like some sea level? I I don't know. Oh, you still don't know? I don't. I still don't no. know. And you know what? I'm going to keep it that way, on purpose. All right. It's just, it's the constant, do you know what a hell of K-pop is? We talked we about talked this. About I know, this. I know, and I still don't know. No, no. Yeah. That's my point. It's, it's trying to make me care about things I don't care about and get them trending. I don't care. Old man yells at cloud, get that trending. All right? Care about that. Aaron. I'll, we'll go on to question number three. Who is on your Mount Rushmore of the best players for your favorite NFL team. So, like, historically? Yep. All right, so if we're talking the Detroit Lions, you'd have Barry Sanders, um, Alex Karras, um, probably... Uh, Wait, did you say favorite? Best. Or, or best. best. Okay, no, you... Okay. Probably so. Dick Night Train Lane, who was considered arguably the greatest corner in NFL history until Deion Sanders and the era that we live in today. He would be on that list probably. Um, and then I got to come up with a fourth. This is impossible for the Packers. It's yeah. Impossible. I mean, it's, it, it's uh, three are pretty obvious, right? Three quarterbacks are pretty obvious. So the fourth person would be, would be well, that, that's, immensely impossible. Okay. From that point forward. Is it? You, you, you Instinctively, I was like, that's the easy answer, but you automatically just have to put the three Packer quarterbacks on the four. Up. I guess I'll go Bobby Lane as the fourth for the Lions since he's the last quarterback we last quarterback we had that won a championship here. Okay. So, I, I mean, I, I'm going to go with you know, Bobby Lane, Alex Karras, uh, Dick Nitrain Lane, and uh, Barry Sanders. For the Packers, you have to have Aaron Rodgers, Brett Favre, and Bart Starr on there. The question is, who's the fourth? Is it Willie Brown? Is it Forrest Evashevsky? Uh, Don is, Hudson is, is was considered the Hudson? greatest. Who's the, who's the great middle linebacker from those? Nitschke. Uh, Ray Nitschke. So, I mean, the fourth member of that team, I think, is very, very difficult to come up with. I agree. Green Bay's tough. I agree. But you just did it for I mean, how about Reggie White? We didn't even mention him, yeah. right? Yeah. Reggie White. I mean, Sterling, Sterling Sharp. Sharp. Lynn Dickey. I'm kidding. All right. Uh, I, I think for me, I know this is recency bias, but even in two years, Patrick Mahomes 
unquestioned one of the best players in Chiefs history, so he has to be up there. Now, if he absolutely tanks the rest of his career, then obviously he's not going to be there. Uh, then I've got Derek Thomas. He has to be there. That's an automatic. It's an automatic. Uh, Will Shields. Automatic. I'm putting in there as well. And yeah. I tried to get a guy who was most, I tried to get all guys who are mostly known for their times or their time in a Chiefs uniform. I was trying to think of either Len Dawson or Tony Gonzalez for that last spot. I'm still going with Tony Gonzalez. Him dunking. I mean, that was his signature even with the Falcons as well. But dunking the ball over the goalpost in Arrowhead Stadium, that's just an iconic you got to have Lynn Dawson on your list, man. It's like having Bart Starr not on your Packers list, and you don't yeah. put See, him off the list for a my... friggin' tight end. Come on, man. Who's one of the best tight ends in NFL history? That's my Come point, on. though. How, how weighted is just that position at all times? I mean, Lynn Dawson, Bart... is the has, until Pat Mahomes, was the face, was the, was the Jerry West of the Kansas City Chiefs as a franchise. He has to be on there. You can take Will Shields off and say a guard's not as important as a tight end, but you have to have Len Dawson on there. You guys think about it while I tell the audience about realestateagentsitrust.com, okay? Don't trust Aaron's takes, but trust the real estate agents you'll find at realestateagentsitrust.com. If you're going into this market right now in these uncertain times, take a drink. You want to make sure you go in with an agent that you know is all in for you. Now, where would you find that agent with a fully vetted track record of success? Um, can you do that yourself? It's kind of hard. That's where realestateagentsitrust.com comes in. Name kind of says it all. realestateagentsitrust.com. No agent gets listed there anywhere in the country unless they have been submitted to a thorough vetting process. And it, it's it's kind of um, a, a self enforcing mechanism that an agent wants to be listed so they know going in that their track record of success is going to be vetted. So this is where you want to go almost anywhere in the country. There might be some remote locale you want to move to these days where we can't help you. But almost anywhere else around the country, go to realestateagentsitrust.com. That's realestateagentsitrust.com. Aaron, you now understand I've had time to realize Len Dawson has to be on the Mount Rushmore of a Kansas City Chiefs franchise. Oh, I was about to make a tight end joke and, at your expense, and then I decided that I wanted to keep my job. What were you saying about Len, Len Dawson? We've reached an impasse. <sighs> Millennials. All right, we're going to stick around and anger a bunch of people in the overtime. Don't miss it. BlazeTV.com slash Dace. Until tomorrow, noon to 2 Eastern right here on Blaze TV after Glenn Beck, John 317. This is Steve Dace. On the Blaze Radio Network.